0: So today we'll be continuing in our study of the book of Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 14. And for the past couple Sundays, we've been uh, kind of slowing down. I think in the way that Steve has described what's happening in this section of Mark is almost like slow motion, where things are beginning to slow down a bit, and we're seeing the last week of Jesus' life here on earth and his earthly ministry. So we'll be in Mark chapter 14. And we'll be picking up at verse 53. Uh, The title of this sermon is Jesus, High Priest Like No Other. And just kind of as an introduction, this particular passage of scripture has one particular scene. And in this particular scene, we'll see how Jesus is in front of the religious leaders of the day. And there's the interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders. But there's also another storyline that's also taking place where there's one of his disciples, as you know, Peter, who's kind of observing everything that's happening as Jesus is being confronted by these religious leaders. And the thing that kind of ties both of these storylines together is the person of Jesus Christ, and in particular, him being high priest, him being high priest. And so in this sermon what I would like for us to ask, or at least what I'll be asking, and I hope that you guys would ask this question too as well, is why do we need this high priest? Why do we need this high priest? So we're going to go into this section of scripture with that question in mind, and I'm going to give you eight reasons from, what I, from, from this scripture passage as to why I think that this high priest is necessary. So we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 14 at verse 53. And it says, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Triple threat, the priest, the elders and the scribes. So whenever you see all of these guys getting together, you know that they mean business, that there is some problem that we have to deal with. And there's this Jesus problem. We have to deal with this Jesus problem. And we see at the early part of verse 53 that they led Jesus to the high priest. That right there should make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Where you have the ultimate high priest being led to an earthly high priest. Reason number one if you're taking notes. Reason number one, slide number one. We need this high priest is because the order of this world is broken. Whenever you have the ultimate high priest, the, the, the one who was foretold of, the one who was prophesied, answering to earthly high priests, having to give an answer to earthly high priests, there is something broken in this system. I think it doesn't really take much for us to look around in the world and to see that things are truly broken. And the fact that Jesus was willing to be led before earthly high priests, to me, really points to the authenticity and the, 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 the power that his priesthood had, that, that it was not subject to falling under the pressure or wasn't subject to failing under the pressure of earthly leaders. That it's able to withstand, it's able to hold up, it's not gonna fold under the pressure. And so, first of all, we need this high priest because the order of this world is broken. Verse 53. Focus shifts a little bit. And Peter followed them, followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So he followed from a distance. Now, if you might remember from last week's sermon, all of the disciples had fled at this point. All of them had gone, just as Jesus had prophesied. And so now Peter is following from a distance. I don't know if you've ever done this following from a distance thing. Um, I might have done that a couple of times um, in my life. Um, I, I, have, I have a thing about dogs. I'm, I'm not really crazy about dogs at all. Um, my wife recently got a cat that will supposedly get the size of a dog, a small dog, so I guess that 's cool i can I can deal with that, but I remember when I was in elementary school, there was a, a dog that lived uh, two houses up from where I was, and I tell you, man, coming home from school was terrifying because this dog would chase me all the way to the house and albeit it was not a big dog. It might have been like a chihuahua or something, but still, I mean, I was small. I mean, a dog is a dog. A dog bite, right? A dog bite is a dog bite. I don't care how big the dog is, right? And so when I became a teenager, you know, the thing is, it's all about your ego. You got to show that you're not really as scared as you really are. And so we'd be riding bikes in the neighborhood, and we would know which house had a dog. And so once we would get close to the house, it's like you want to be able to stay close enough to the fellas to appear as though you weren't scared, but you also wanted to be far enough that in in case that dog came running out, you were gone. And so Peter is following at a distance. What is he thinking? There's a part of me that's thinking, is Peter trying to redeem himself? Because the, the disciples all fled, they all left. And so now Peter's the one that is following from a distance And he's just kind of, you know, I'm just going to warm myself by the fire just like everybody else. And I'm wondering if a part of his motive is to try to be close enough to say that I was with you, Jesus. I was there. I didn't deny you. But at the same time, not wanting to be too close just in case things went down and I might be able to get away. Who knows? The scripture doesn't say. But number two. Reason number two, the reason why we need this high priest is because despite the best of our intentions, we are weak individuals. There are subtle changes that we can make in our walk that other people may not necessarily be able to notice, where we actually kind of do the same thing, where we kind of distance ourselves from God. Maybe we're not, not going to pray at the lunch table. Maybe we might just do one of these numbers here. <laughs> We know what we do when we're trying to distance ourselves from God. And despite the best of our intentions, there is a weakness inherent to all human beings that we do have. And God is aware of those changes. He's aware of the things that we value more than him in different situations of life. And we need this high priest because despite the best of our intentions, we are weak Individuals. Verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. They already had the evidence, or at least they, they were seeking evidence, they already had the sentence determine it's going to be death we just need all the evidence in place in order to justify the verdict that we have and so number 3 is this the reason number 3 reason number 3 the broken the reason why we need this high priest is because broken humanity is willing to sacrifice truth for a desired outcome that broken we need this high priest because broken humanity is willing to sacrifice truth for a desired income. What we want in order to get this conviction. So let's get as many witnesses as we can to validate whatever so that we can get this conviction that we want. There's an active pursuit with the intention to gain a certain outcome. Once you already have the outcome determined that you want, then you're no longer concerned with what the truth is. You're just concerned about getting your own way. So much so, in verse 56, it says that many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. There were many people who were willing to stake their reputation on these claims. So we need this high priest because broken humanity has this tendency where we're willing to sacrifice truth to get a desired outcome. Moving on to verse 57. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So, so far, okay, things are looking pretty good for Jesus, right? Number four, reason number four. The reason why we need this high priest is because broken humanity has the tendency to misinterpret God's word. We need this high priest because broken humanity has the tendency to misinterpret God's word. Jesus didn't say that. Verse 58, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in 3 days I will build another not made with hands. That is not what he said. If you turn to John chapter 2 verse 9 19 this is what Jesus says. Referring to himself, as he's confronting some of the religious leaders, Jesus says this in John chapter 2 verse 19. He says, "Destroy this temple, referring to himself, and in three days I will raise it back up." That's what he said. He didn't say anything about the, the Jewish temple at all. A guy by the name of George McDonald said is quoted as saying, "To give truth to him who loves it not." is but to give him more plentiful material for misinterpretation. To give truth to him who loves it not is only but to give him more plentiful material for misinterpretation. When somebody does not want to hear the truth and you give it to them, chances are they're going to misinterpret it and use it however they want. And so when we reject the light that God has given to us, sometimes we end up using that against God. That's what broken humanity does. And so verse 60 says, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. So picture that, right? He's brought before the religious leaders They're wanting this death sentence. They want evidence to support this death sentence. And the witnesses get up. None of the testimony is agreeing. Everything is inconsistent. So then he looks to Jesus and says, like, what do you have to say? I can imagine him being like, nah, go ahead. Y'all got it. What am I going to say? Your testimony doesn't agree. I'm not going to help you out. And so he remains silent. Reason number five. We need this high priest. Reason number five, we need this high priest because hearts that are resistant will have difficulty hearing the voice of God. That hearts that are resistant to God will have difficulty hearing the voice of God. You know, the thing about God is that He knows our intentions. When we come to God with questions, God knows the difference between a person who is coming with a heart and a posture to hear and obey versus somebody who just wants an argument with him. I think we can kind of relate to that, right? Where people say, well, it's just a question. No, you're trying to argue. You're not looking to hear. You're not looking to obey. You're looking to argue. God knows the difference. And so we need a high priest because hearts that are resistant to God have difficulty hearing the voice of God. And so it continues. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And so at this point, Jesus simply affirms the truth. He affirms it. And what he does here is that he actually is quoting two different Old Testament passages of Scripture. The first one is in Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. And it reads, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Sit at my right hand. So that's the first part of it. And then the second part is actually in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And that second part of the, the, the quote reads from Daniel seven thirteen. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall, be, shall not be destroyed. So it's pointing to himself being the prophesied Messiah. And if these guys, the scribes and, you know, guys who were truly familiar with the Old Testament, they knew what he was saying. They knew exactly what Jesus Christ was getting at. And so look at what they do in verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. We don't go around tearing our clothes um, like they did during this particular time. Um, Unless you're Hulk Hogan, right? (laughs) Some of you guys remember Hulk Hogan. I'm kind of dating myself here. Um, (laughs) He would have this, you know, skinny little yellow shirt end up talking trash, and then he goes to the ring, and then he just tears his shirt, and everybody goes around, you know, the crowd just goes, wow, right? We, we don't do stuff like that anymore. But the tearing of garments is something that we actually have seen in the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the story of um, the, the spies going in to, to view the promised land, um, there, there were 12 men that went in, and two came back with a good report, and 10 came back with a, a bad report. And at that particular time, the Scriptures record in Numbers chapter 14, that uh, Joshua and Caleb said, we can take this land. We, we got it. You know, God has promised us that, that we could get this land and we could do it. And then the other men were like, oh, ah, no, I don't know about that. They gave a bad report. and they, they instilled a lot of fear into the children of Israel. And in response to that, it said that Joshua, he had tore his garments because he was fully convinced that this was something that God said that they could do. And, and he wanted to convince the people, and out of this sense of conviction, he tore his clothes. And so it's almost like it's emphasizing the fact that what's taking place is something of God, and, and whatever has been heard is something that's contradictory to God's word. And the fact that it says, what further witnesses do we need, points to the fact that they are willing to take the testimony of Jesus if it gets him incriminated, but they're not concerned with the truth of the claims itself. So they're accepting the fact that he's testifying against himself, but they are also at the same time rejecting the truth of those claims. And then it said at verse 64, you heard this blasphemy. And so reason number six is this. The reason why we need this high priest is that those who are resistant to truth are fully persuaded that God's truth is error. People who are resistant to the truth are fully persuaded that God's truth is error. And that's a dangerous place to be. When you are so blind and you are so convinced in your own way of thinking, your own way of doing, that you conclude that God's way is actually not right. Rather, it's my way that's the right way. Verse 64 says, What is your decision? And they all, they all, unanimous decision, they all condemned him as deserving death. Verse 65 And some began to spit on him, cover his face, and strike him. And they said, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Unanimous decision. He deserves death. Not only are we going to mock you, but we're also going to beat you along the way. Verse... uh, Reason number seven. The reason why we need this high priest... It's because broken humanity is prone to misjudgment. Broken humanity is prone to misjudgment. We're prone to being off in our decision making. We're prone to making the wrong call. And the fact that all of them said this, like it was a unanimous, it was a collective decision. The collective wisdom of man said this is deserving of death. We're going to mock you spit on you. We're going to strike you. We're going to beat you. Something about truth that brings out the ugliness of humanity. And so the focus shifts now again in verse 66. Peter's observing all of this. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself She looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just what I need right now. Trying not to get noticed. This little pesky girl keeps coming up and saying stuff to me. And he went out into the gateway. So he's going a little bit further. And the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. So now she's trying to get the crowd all into it now. Oh, my goodness. I would have had a hard time with that, right? You know, one of those people that try to get the crowd all involved in it. Like, why why we got to go there, right? You're getting them all riled up. And verse 70 says, but again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said, so now the bystanders are now joining in with the chorus to Peter. And they said, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. But Peter remembered how Jesus had said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. For most of us, our worst moment may not necessarily happen in front of people. Uh, Of course, now there's YouTube and there's TMZ, and anybody's likely to get caught doing anything these days. But imagine at your worst moment that you are seen, all right? Luke 22 verse 61 says it this way. It's a little bit differently, and it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter the Lord looked at Peter when it happened. Now, can you imagine what Peter's feeling at this moment? He's trying to be incognito. And he gets exposed not only by everybody who is present, but Jesus actually looks at him at that very moment. I would imagine he felt horrible. Like, and I don't know if you've messed up so bad that you've invoked a curse on yourself, or maybe you begin to condemn yourself, you begin to beat yourself up for it. But I can imagine this might have been what Peter had been experiencing at this point. And Jesus sees it happening. He sees Jesus looking at him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does not jump in and blast Peter. He doesn't join in with the bystanders and say, yep, he's one of mine. You're still working on him. He doesn't say anything. Scripture doesn't say, but I believe that that look was a look of love. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. This is what Jesus says to the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 21 says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. I believe it was a similar look that Jesus had toward his disciple at this particular point, knowing full well the weakness that he had, that he was not going to blast him in public, but that he was actually going to be there in his worst moment to be present with him. So reason number eight. The reason that we need this high priest is to deal with our utter failure and self-condemnation. We need a high priest who is able to deal with our utter failure and self-condemnation. In our lowest moment, when everyone else is aware that we're not what we say we are, we need somebody to be able to uphold us When we can't even hold ourselves together. We all walk with a brokenness, people. And in this passage of scripture, we see several layers of brokenness. We see the brokenness of people who are hostile towards God. But we also see the brokenness of people who follow God, who are weak individuals. But today I want to be clear that there is a difference between the two. There's a very stark difference between the two. There's a difference between the people who are hostile toward God, that kind of brokenness, and the brokenness of weakness. And I believe today that one one of the ways that we can tell the difference between the two is how our hearts respond to the truth that God has revealed. How our hearts respond to the truth that God has revealed. When God's truth hits our heart, how do we respond? Are we resistant? to the word of God? Do we find God's word to be offensive? Do we find it to be archaic? Do we find it to be irrelevant or distasteful? You know when somebody has a different political persuasion than you do and and you guys get into a conversation and they start hitting those talking points and there's something that just goes off automatically in your heart. We're just like, yep, I'm going to tune him out. I don't want to hear anything that they have to say. How does our heart respond to the truth? Of God's Word as his, God, as, as his Word hits our hearts. In this passage, we see that the religious leaders were very resistant to the truth of God's Word. We see a different response from Peter. Look at the last verse again, verse 70, 72. And Peter remembered that Jesus had said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And his response, he broke down and he wept. Realizing the truth of God's word broke his heart, that it was actually true. How do you respond to the word of God? How does God's word resonate with you? Certainly, yes, God's word exposes certain parts of our heart. But I think there's a sting that God's word has that also has the power to draw you, that still draws you in. And so if truth hits your heart and you turn away, there's an indication that something is off. But if God's word is able to hit your heart and you're still drawn to it even though it hurts, that's the difference. And I think it's very important for us to understand the disposition of our hearts as God's heart, as God's word is exposed to our heart. Are you drawn to God's word? Are you drawn to the truth, even though it hurts? Or does it push you further away? Does it harden your heart? I want to give us a brief moment to reflect on these truths as to how our hearts respond to his truth before we go into our time of communion. So I'll pause for a brief moment. this world is broken despite the best of our intentions we are weak broken humanity is willing to sacrifice truth for a desired outcome broken humanity also has the tendency to misinterpret God's word resistant hearts resistant hearts have difficulty hearing the voice of God those resistant to truth are fully persuaded that God's truth is error We're prone to misjudgment, and ultimately we need a high priest because of our own failure and self-condemnation. We need someone to help us. We need someone to rescue us. I pray that our hearts would be receptive to your truth.